0: at LuckyLandSlots.com, Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the NeuroDiverging Podcast. I'm Danielle Sullivan. I'm a certified life coach, an autistic parent, and your host, I'm so excited you're here with me today, thank you for joining us. If you've been a long-time listener, you know that I have a daughter with ADHD and a co-parent with ADHD, and many, many autistics are co-diagnosed with ADHD. It's something like half of all autistics are also ADHD. And obviously, ADHD also occurs by itself outside of autism and is very common in the United States population. But there are several types of ADHD, including inattentive, hyperactive, and then combined type, which is both hyperactive and inattentive. And inattentive ADHD is very underdiagnosed overall. It's the most common type of ADHD by far in women but is also underdiagnosed in a lot of men. And today's guest is an expert on inattentive ADHD. We are talking about his experience with late-identified inattentive ADHD. I am so excited to welcome Coach Aaron Croft to the podcast today. Aaron Croft is a late-identified inattentive adhd or turned popular ADHD coach, and he's the founder of Hidden ADD. He is on a mission to raise awareness about inattentive ADHD, how it goes under the radar, and how to rebuild your life post-diagnosis. His work has been featured by Attitude Magazine, the Attention Deficit Disorder Association, and more, and you may have seen some of his very popular ADHD videos on TikTok. Inattentive ADHD is massively underdiagnosed, especially in men, so I am really grateful to Aaron for coming on the show to share his experience. Today we're discussing what it was like for Aaron as a child growing up with undiagnosed inattentive ADHD, how lacking the knowledge about his neurotype affected Aaron's life in college and young adulthood, and how his life has changed since his diagnosis. Before I introduce Erin, I'd like to thank all of my patrons for supporting this episode of NeuroDiverging. I hope you are enjoying everything that's coming out this month. We have lots of seminars and lots of new blog posts on the way. Patrons receive exclusive access to lots of goodies, including access to my back catalog of recorded neurodiversity-related webinars, self-help and coaching downloads, a 15% discount on my course, Autistic Emotions Explained, and much, much more. If you want to be one of these amazing folks and support neurodiverging and get all your goodies, please check us out on Patreon at patreon.com neurodiverging. And now let's get ready to learn everything we need to know about one of the most underdiagnosed neurodivergences. Let's welcome Coach Aaron Croft. Hello, Aaron, and welcome to Neurodiverging. It's so great to have you here. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing so well, Danielle, and thank you for having me. And thanks to your awesome listeners for tuning in and for learning about this important topic.
1: It is such an important topic, and I'm so honestly so pleased that you reached out and to have you here today. So you, um, I mean, I know you do a lot of different things, but your focus is inattentive ADHD and you're a pretty late identified ADD, right? When were you diagnosed?
2: Yeah. Um, so I was diagnosed uh, at 34 years old after I'd failed out of seven jobs and Basically, ended up broke, divorced, and earning minimum wage. So it took it took a fair bit of external uh, warning signs to finally come around to the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I
1: think a lot of us. I'm late diagnosed autistic, which is obviously different than ADD. But a lot of us are caught so late and have been through so much just to get to get to mid 30s. It's a, an unfortunately common story, isn't it? What did your childhood look like? knowing that you have ADD now, were there kind of signs that got missed when you were younger?
2: Oh my goodness. I mean, <laughs> So many signs. I was blessed with some natural intelligence. I was a naturally good test taker. I had like strong social support. Like my friends were all, you know, really smart and motivated. And I had older sisters. So I did well in school, but, mm-hmm. but behind the scenes at home, it was a disaster. So, my doing well in school was comprised of massive amounts of procrastination, getting through middle school and high school with pretty much never reading a book cover to cover. Uh, my nickname became Cliff's Notes Aaron. <laughs> uh, it was, you know, I would be doing homework outside of class, like just regularly. It was always the last minute kind of I need this like deadline panic to get my brain to kick in gear. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is a thing with ADHD. And, you know, it was just, it was a lot of, it was a lot of stress and a lot of pain. And, you know, that was compounded by my mom, you know, looking at it and the perception from the outside is lazy, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: you know, don't care, you know, or just willfully disobedient. And none of those were the case for me, but I didn't have a better explanation.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So this was occurring for you very young, even, that you were dealing with this kind of anxiety around meeting obligations or or meeting expectations.
2: 100%. I mean, I I got the award from my third grade teacher. She gave awards out and she gave me an award for the best at getting around doing work. Oh, my gosh.
1: That's not great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And then you had a really hard time. you mentioned a little bit before you were finally diagnosed, you went through all those jobs and businesses not working and you had trouble at college, right? Can you pinpoint what was going on there and why, why, why were you failing at those jobs?
2: Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Danielle. So the thing, the thing that I've noticed with inattentive ADHD, both through, through my research and work. Um, so I have a master's degree in coaching psychology and, you know, I coach ADHDers, but a lot of them tend to uh, have this inattentive presentation, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you, ask, if you ask 50 people on the street, what's the first thing you think of when you think of ADHD? You know, they're going to picture like five-year-old boys, you know, painting on the walls, jumping around hyper on sugar, mm-hmm. uh, or they're going to picture like that dog from up going squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> With, with those of us with the inattentive presentation, our experience is, is very different.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: so, one of the things is that there, there's a gap, and I see this with a lot of my clients uh, that I coach, that wanting to do something and being able to get your brain to focus on what you want to do, like the connection there has faulty wiring. Mm-hmm. I, I've I've explained it sometimes to people like, you know, a uh a lamp that's plugged into the wall. And you know, you might flip the switch, but if there's a if there's a gap in the wiring between the lamp and the outlet and the wall, it might not turn on, even though you flip the switch. And so you know, for neurotypical people, when you want to work on something that's important to you, because you genuinely care, and you want to, and you're motivated to, but like, you can flip the switch and get yourself to focus on it. With ADHD, and a specifically inattentive an ADHD, you don't have that. And so, so here's what happens. All that backstory is just to explain why I failed, why I failed so much, and what the real cause was. So, Here's what does work. What does work is panic.
1: Mm -hmm. All the energy you get from that last minute.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That urgency and panic of something really bad is going to happen. And there's a really tight deadline and all that. And then all of a sudden, like you flip the switch and the light turns on and you can focus. Here's the problem, Danielle. That gets really tiring Mm -hmm. over time both physically, but also mentally and emotionally. And I was able to pull off amazing feats in high school uh, through doing this. And, you know, that's how I got into Harvard with my test taking skills and with just a lot of these last minute saves. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it wasn't sustainable. And so when I got to Harvard, I said, I'm. I'm done. Like, I don't want to drag myself through the pain of needing to have the fear of God putting me to get work done and to be so stressed out that my brain turns on. And so I just said, I'm gonna try not doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, except there's a problem with that strategy was that then my life still sucked. It just didn't suck in a different way.
1: As an inattentive adhd do you have a sense as to what the difference is? I know you don't have the hyperactive type, but like you said, it's the kind of stereotypes that is what people think of. Do you have a sense of what the difference is in actual kind of an interior life and in, in, in how you think about the world and how you approach the world and what's going on for you compared to Folks with the kind of hyperactive presentation of ADHD. Does that sure. question make any sense? <laughs>
2: yeah, no, that question. The question makes perfect sense, uh, and I tracked it fully. So, the 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 primary difference that I've I've seen, you know, a few differences. So the primary difference I've seen comes uh, around. Really, the energy levels. So, at the hyperactive side, you know, one of the diagnostic criteria basically, you know, says like acts as if driven by a motor. Mm-hmm. And oh, that's interesting. And so, what you end up with the hyperactive impulsive side is that you'll get this surplus of energy. And that translates to things that, you know, sometimes can be super helpful, right? Like, yes, the person might not be able to stay focused on one thing for very long because they're just, you know, going so fast. But if you can sustain, I mean, I had a client who, you know, I literally, I mean, I said, and she agreed like that she gets work done at an Olympic level. (laughs) I mean, I've never seen somebody who does as many things in a day as she does. Mm -hmm. And You know, I've even seen researcher reports about entrepreneurship in ADHD, and they really say the hyperactive impulsive side is kind of the core of, you know, when people say that ADHD really lends itself well to uh, entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. you know, they have this high energy, which you know, is great leadership, because it's passionate, and they can just flip between a bunch of different projects. And then the second part of, you know, the second main difference between the hyperactive impulsive experience and the inattentive experience is really the impulsivity. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a lot of the inattentive ADHDers tend to be a little bit more reserved, a little quieter, uh, maybe even a little more passive or passive aggressive. And whereas, you know, the, the other experience on the ADHD is, you know, someone that just overshares and can't stop talking and will interrupt, you know, before you even finished your question because they just can't wait to talk. And, you know, but that translates to entrepreneurship and other things as like risk taking and like willingness to take risks where others won't. So so that's some of the differences.
1: Okay, thank you.
2: Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly two million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.
3: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
1: What society would see as the positive, quote unquote, aspects of ADHD, like that risk taking, like that positive risk taking of an entrepreneur, are not always present in inattentive ADHD. So you get the unfortunate, like lazy, unmotivated sort of adjectives, as opposed to the kind of positive, like highly energetic, tries new things sort of adjectives.
2: Yeah. It was really weird, Danielle. So, I mean, so, so I only, you know, formally went full time on my, hidden ADHD business Mm -hmm. in July. So I don't know, you know, call that at the time that we're recording this, you know, four or five months ago. Uh, And, 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 you know, I left a multiple six figure corporate job and this whole thing, but here's the funny part. So I started, I started making myself available for coaching with clients and I'm not doing very much one-on-one coaching anymore because I've transitioned to a lot of group programs uh, one, cause I can do it more affordably for people with two, because it's actually better from a group standpoint mm-hmm. to have more than just a coach. You get success teams and peers and such, but, uh, I, I digress. So what, what people, uh, what I noticed, it was so weird, Danielle. like I noticed that almost every, like 90% of the clients that came to me, it was literally for the exact same thing. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, I could almost, I I could summarize their story in probably one sentence. And it was, it struck me as very odd because I figured I was going to get this whole range of different goals and problems. Mm -hmm. And it all came down in almost every case, like 90% plus of cases to the same one problem. I have this thing I want to do. I can't freaking get myself to do it.
1: And what's going on there for them?
2: Uh, What I've really found with myself and then, you know, taught to hundreds of people now, but is that uh, it's most ADHDers, especially the inattentive presentation, they, everything becomes uh, a you problem. Mm -hmm. And what I've often taught them and, and they, they discover for themselves is that it's actually not a a you problem, it's a system or a strategy problem. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by that? Well, if we go back to the lamp example, right? Mm -hmm. So you flip the switch, motivation's on, it should translate to the ability to take action, right? But in the ADHD brain, there's impairments in the motivation pathways, you know, and the, the neuroscience differs by individual and And such, but that's a, that's a common characteristic that they can't basically, they don't have the activation energy to move Mm -hmm. on tasks that they want to move on. And so a lot of the work I do with them is really teaching them strategies and helping them implement strategies that take a different path to light the light bulb of motivation and action in their brain. And when I say that it's a system or a strategy problem, like think about it, Danielle, the the neurotypical or the the majority approach that you'll read in self help or in productivity or you study these things online or you listen to popular bloggers or YouTubers or anything they're going to say that like you just need to you know put more electricity you know put more effort and desire through the wire mm-hmm. or you just need to do all you just need to have a better plan you know, or a a better defined goal, but like the connection, the normal connection pathway just has impairments. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it comes down to strategies to, to build a alternate pathway to get the same action and result.
1: That makes a lot of sense. So learning to bypass the faulty wire and finding the other wires that can work instead. 100%
2: 100% right and like you you really met, awesome. you really commented on it before like kind of that self shaming mm-hmm. part of a problem with the self shaming is like we try to put more electricity through the wire and the light bulb still doesn't turn on and like we tried it we try to keep using this and it doesn't work and then we're like oh you know I just I'm a failure I do this I do that and you know I hear that from all my clients too and it's so it's so demoralizing you know, to, to see that so many people are suffering in silence when it's not that hard uh, to get around it.
1: Once you have the tools for sure. Yeah. And so many, I, I assume this is the case for a lot of uh, autistics. A lot of us um, who slid, who weren't identified in childhood are then not identified <laughs> till we're well into our adulthood uh, in our thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies and up. And I assume that for inattentive add that that is a similar issue that you've had so much time to build up this cycle of things not working and failing and failing, similar to what you went through, that by the time you are finally taught that there are strategies for just bypassing the faulty wire completely, um, that you've you've just been struggling for such a long time that it's almost part of, it just must be so hard to change your perception of yourself that quickly as someone who could do things if you had the right strategy.
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one of the biggest challenges and also one of the biggest opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there, it kind of, it also then harks to another misconception in our society, which is that uh, confidence leads to better action. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the, the reverse is actually the case that action leads to confidence. And so we look and we're like, ah, I just, I'm not, I'm not confident and therefore I don't feel like it and I can't do it. Whereas, you know, one of the things that I work with people on is we just, we build small wins every day, but mm-hmm. it's consistency. Uh, Nir Ayal has a quote that he, that he taught me the author of indistractable and hooked and other, which is consistency over intensity. Yeah. Uh, for you sure. know, so many people try to sprint and then they just fall down. Whereas mm-hmm. if you can just win a little bit every single day, you start to change that self-image such that you, you, you start to rewrite the, I'm a failure. I can't do anything stuff that you so well mentioned.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to go back a little bit to, cause I know that you had a lot of difficulty before you were identified and it seemed to me that when you were in your bachelor's degree program that you had a lot of trouble you fell out a couple times you re-enrolled um but then later you went back and you did a master's which is challenging and and not nothing
2: talking talking about how I could have dropped out of college twice before barely graduating um And then how I could go from that and then complete a master's in my Mm -hmm. thirties. So here's, here's a little bit about what happened. Um, And and this is, it's a challenging one. So I don't want to, I don't want to portray this as a silver bullet because there are a lot of nuance Mm -hmm. here, but one of the pathways to light up the light bulb uh, through a different pathway is just through intrinsic interests. Mm -hmm you know, where those come from, who knows. Uh, But I have always, always just been just obsessed, just so interested and fascinated by uh, psychology, personal development, goals, motivation, the process of change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I went to university, I told my mom, my parents that I wanted to major in psychology and my mom, bless her heart, you know, grew up and she went to college in the, you know, uh, seventies, late sixties, early seventies. And she said, you know, people with psychology degrees just blame their parents and they don't, they don't get jobs (laughs) unless they go on to do a doctorate. Mm -hmm. So she said, you know, you gotta like do a real major. And so, you know being a little bit passive which again a lot inattentive ADHDers can be a little bit more passive uh, I just said okay i'll just go along with it and and then so so but my my intrinsic desire to understand what makes people tick and you know probably if we're if we're being honest what makes me tick right mm-hmm. it's sort of i'm trying to figure out this puzzle that is Aaron how like that makes no sense Daniel how can how can I want desperately to do something and be unable to get myself to do it? how many errands are there in this equation yeah. and so I always wanted to understand it so so that was for me one way that I could engage but I hadn't been diagnosed at that point yeah it was really just it was just pure interest and desire yeah where I could tap into more of that uh
3: A hooer, A hand clapper or a high-fiver? I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+.
1: Yeah. So that energy was there because of because of your interest, in it?
2: I didn't. So, undergraduate, I ended up doing computer science Mm -hmm. because my mom said, don't do psychology. So, the master's was the one where I was able to focus because that was what I cared about. So, it was a master's degree in coaching psychology. Mm -hmm. It was about the science of motivation and goals and change and peak performance. So, I was super interested. For sure. So, yes, I used that for my master's, but I didn't have that excitement for my undergraduate.
1: Okay, cool. Would it be okay? Can we talk about medication? (laughs) Um, I know a lot of folks, or I talk to a lot of folks anyway, who are worried about, who think, oh, okay, if I go and get diagnosed with ADD myself, or if I go, I think I have it. If I go get the diagnosis, or if I bring my child to go get the diagnosis, they're just going to medicate them. And um, some people are medication resistant. And I wondered um, if we could talk about your experience about it do, especially as somebody who's worked with a lot of other ADHDers, um, I know there are treatments besides medication. What do you think about kind of the treatments for ADHD you've tried and what has been most helpful for you?
2: Firstly, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know until I was an adult in my thirties. And so I feel like, I feel like the answer definitely would differ between parents and kids.
1: Oh yes. If you had uh, a five year or sorry, between adults and mm-hmm.
2: kids. So, uh, look, the, the, here's, here's three things that I'll say about the decision around kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, One, your neuroplasticity is highest. Your brain's ability to grow and change is highest pretty, you know, and it, it sort of tapers off by the time you hit 25 years old. So you know, but certainly at a younger age, the ability for the brain to grow and change is very high.
1: Yes, for sure. Uh,
2: So I do think there's, I think there's an opportunity there and whatever the mechanisms are, you know, that, that parents are interested in, um, you know, there, there's, there, there's not a ton of, and there, there's, there's not, there's not really solid scientific evidentiary support for, a lot of interventions, um, I, but the, the, sol- the most solid science is around the medication and the effect sizes. And, you know, Dr. Russell Barkley says ADHD is the most treatable disorder in psychiatry mm-hmm. because, you know, 70 plus percent of people respond well to medication. It has really high effect sizes. Yeah. Sorry. What were you going to say?
1: Oh, and just that we've had most of those medica- I mean, some of them are newer, but the stimulant medications we've had for such a long time that there's so much good research on them now.
2: There's so much good research. And, you know, if you think about all the medications in our lifetime, you know, that have been recalled and pulled off shelves, mm-hmm. whether it's Viox or whether, it was, you know, like these things that cause these health issues that came out, you know, if there were these really bad long-term effects from these, these drugs, you know, the, the FDA, these, these things would get addressed and pulled off the table. There's not mm-hmm. a massive profit incentive They're you know, they're out of, uh, you know, they're in, they're in generic phases. Exactly. So, you know, if there was something to really get on these drugs, like a lot of it would have come out, it doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't Mm -hmm. mean there aren't issues. So, uh, so that would be number two is that, is that medication is at least if you're just looking for evidence-based, uh, there's plenty of studies that just show, uh, the, that is the best and that the other interventions don't have nearly the evidence base, Mm -hmm. but again, back to point one around the neuroplasticity, I don't have anything against experimenting, right? I mean, what if, what if neurofeedback really works for your kid or what if an executive function coach or what if you know, certain setups uh, really help? Mm-hmm. So then the, the third thing I would say about kids, so I'm gonna say four things. The third thing <laughs> I would say is that I've, re- I've encountered, so back to the interest thing, and a, and a related thing to interest is just a sense of autonomy and ownership. Yes. And so I've interacted with a lot of people who were given medication as kids, but they didn't feel a part of the decision. They didn't They didn't own it. they weren't they weren't like, oh, i really want to do X. Mm -hmm. I really want to get these good grades so that I can get into this space camp, or I really want to, you know, practice whatever. I want to practice the violin so I can play this awesome thing. And I know that I can't focus enough to practice. Like if they have a motivation, they're like, mom, dad, I want, I want some help doing this. I can't do it. It's frustrating. And they feel like they've been involved in the decision. Great. And they have the ability to make changes when it's not working. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've talked to a lot of adults who were felt that they were just kind of forced to take the medication. Yeah,
1: that's a big problem.
2: Like almost like, you know, let's let's medicate this kid to make to make them just do what we want them to do and make them more compliant and. And then you end up with sort of this this kickback effect where they say, "Oh, it didn't feel good, and I didn't like it, and like how it made me feel." And then they'll issue medication until they end up with problems in their 20s or 30s when they're when they're having career failures or relationship failures, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Huh, I guess all those things I can't follow through on. Maybe those are that ADHD thing that I kind of intentionally." Uh, you know, threw off and said, Mm -hmm. I don't want to deal with this. And so the fourth thing I want to say is, look, I mean, the decision on medicating is, is challenging. Uh, and so, and so I'm all, I'm all for at the, at the adolescent child level, Mm -hmm. experimenting, if it works, you know, try other things, what's the harm. And then, you know, going to medication is a fallback, except here's the one uh, case that I want to offer where I wouldn't offer that approach Mm -hmm. is sometimes if the ability to even follow through on the alternative approaches, you know, the ability to just, you know, keep up remotely in school or keep up with neurofeedback or keep up with these things you're doing. Like if you can't even fall through on that, that sometimes medication can be a bridge that enables one to do things that can then make the medication less needed. Yes. Um, and so, and so there, there can be kind of a, a, a yes and Yes. approach there.
1: <laughs> so sometimes you will want to consider accepting medication as a treatment for a period of time, but that doesn't mean you're committing to it for the rest of your adult life.
2: Well, I mean, at this point I'm talking about kids mm-hmm. and especially when you have the neuroplasticity, right. It doesn't yeah. mean, I mean, you know, at the rate that your brain can grow and change. And I mean, adults still have neuroplasticity, oh, it's sure. just the rate of it declines. Yeah. Um, But, at, you know, at that level, you know, the, te- the kid and teenager, maybe they just develop the the neural pathways to really short circuit, the kind of broken wire to the motivation light bulb mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, cool. I don't need that medication anymore.
3: Yeah.
1: Awesome. Thank you. That's really helpful. Do you have any advice that you would give to young adults, young ADHD years, having gone through what you've gone through?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would, I I think I I do have advice. I think of course the challenge at that age that we've all experienced from having been that age is that we're not necessarily open to advice, but I'll share, I'll share the advice. Anyhow, (laughs) part of this goes into the fact that you still have that high levels of neuroplasticity until you're 25. And I think there's a lot of value in taking advantage of those Mm -hmm. You can you can make changes in your life much more easily. So what I would recommend is if you can find programs that are dedicated to helping ADHDers with your types of symptoms. And again, I can't really comment on the hyperactive impulsive side because I don't pretend to to know something where I don't have experience yeah. or that I've really worked with a lot of people. With the with the inattentive people that I've worked with and in the group programs, when they discover that there's ADHD specific ways to kind of short circuit and get the the light bulb to turn on, and they discover that they can be consistently productive, like day in, day out. And if you could do that as a teenager or a college kid or or a young adult starting your career, one, build the habit while your brain is still super plastic. And two, not build the baggage that you talked about, Danielle, of you know years of failure and self shaming. It would open up your life. It would change so many things, and you would you would really avoid a lot of the baggage yeah. because it really does come down to a system and a strategy, not not a personal problem. Because so many ADHDers have so much potential, it's just uh, it's just trapped. Yeah. Inside of them because they don't know how to get the light bulb to turn on.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. To wrap up, could you tell us a little bit about where folks can find and learn more about you and your courses and your coaching?
2: Sure. Um, I would just Google hidden ADHD, and you know the the name of the business just comes to the fact that with inattentive ADHD, it often remains hidden. It goes under the wire, kind of like you talked about, Danielle. For sure. Uh, with with the you know, late diagnosis, autism, and that's really it. Um, I've got over a hundred thousand TikTok followers. So if you just kind of want some funny videos on there,
1: some of them uh, are really
2: good. (laughs) Thank you. See a 40 year old bald dude dancing and and doing weird stuff. uh, You could check that out. I've got some, you know, more detailed full length YouTube videos where I break down a lot of the strategies for success. And of course, if you Google hidden ADHD, you'll come across website and um I've got a 45 day challenge to crush procrastination and overwhelm through uh basically developing a productivity habit. And so we've got lots of things. Check it out. We got some free guides on ADHD 101 if you're just getting started. Uh, So lots of lots of cool stuff.
1: There's some really great resources there. So I'm gonna put some links in the show notes below. So please go check them out. Thanks so much for being here today, Aaron.
2: Thank you, Dale. It was an absolute pleasure. And thanks for the work that you're doing with this community. I just, I think it's so important. And, um, I again, thanks to the listeners for, you know, there's a lot of things that they could be doing other than learning about this important topic <laughs> and true. trying to better their kids' lives or their own lives. So just hats off to them as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We all appreciate you being here today. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the Neurodiverging Podcast today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or anywhere else you review podcasts. It really helps us out more information about Aaron Croft and hidden ADHD is in our show notes and also at neurodiverging.com. So please check those out. Aaron has a lot of great free resources for ADHDers that are really helpful. Thank you again so much to my patrons for supporting this podcast and everything we do at neurodiverging. You are all amazing and I really appreciate it. Please join us for more at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. I hope to see you there. Please remember we are all in this together.
2: Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done